often would take her new songs and try them out at what is now the Bowery Rescue Mission in downtown Manhattan. And so uh, you look at the words there and you would see that she was giving opportunity to those men who were found themselves in the clutches and in the bondage of sin to give words to their desire to seek the Savior. And it wouldn't hurt for you and I to do the same. Amen. And so let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, last week we um, uh, went through uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Actually, last week we were in camp and uh, Brother Horton preached but uh, well, two weeks ago. And then now let's look here at uh, Revelation chapter 2, the second letter. Starting in verse 8, the shortest of all the letters, one of two letters that has no condemnation included in it, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Very short, pungent letter to this church. and We know nothing about the church in Smyrna from scriptural record other than what we find right here in the book of Revelation. It is not mentioned in the book of Acts, in Paul's journeys, though it was just a short way, about 35 miles from the city of Ephesus. And as we read the account in the book of Acts of Ephesus, it says that all Asia heard the gospel. And so chances are, while Paul was three years in Ephesus, some of those uh, may have come from Smyrna to Ephesus to do business or vice versa, or someone in the church may have moved back to Smyrna to see this church established. We are not sure of how or whom actually started this church. Um, you open up any of the history books or commentaries and they want to talk about the history of Smyrna and how that it was destroyed 600 B.C., about the same year that Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and it was rebuilt. And, and, uh, but it was the first city in Asia to build a temple to the Roman gods, and later would be the place where a temple was built actually to Augustus Caesar to worship the emperor. And so... Uh, we could easily see just from studying the history of this city of Smyrna why there might be some persecution of those who called themselves Christians, especially with the cult of Rome, the worship of the emperor being one of its primary historical facts. But let's just look here, and again, it is addressed unto, uh, the letter is addressed unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, we've, we've spent some time in the past. We believe that the angel is talking about the pastor, the physical leader, the messenger of God uh, to this church. He was the one, the, the pastor of this church, was responsible for the direction and what was going on. And it's interesting how Jesus addresses this church, how he introduces himself to this church, he says, these things saith the first and the last. This is talking about the eternality of God. Several times, and twice actually in Genesis chapter 1, as Jesus is introducing himself as the author and as the owner, as the 
uh, one to whom the revelation was given that he is passing on to us. God the Father gave it to Jesus. Jesus has now signified it through his messenger to John. It is the revelation that belongs to or is about Jesus Christ before anything was. He already is. When it's all said and done, he still will be is. You know, how many of you have been disconcerted, upset, maybe a little worried with what's going on economically and what's going on in our nation? And uh, by all rights and reasons, we should be concerned. But isn't it nice to know someone who was here before the United States? Jesus was here before. He's the first. He's the last. When all the kingdoms of this earth are done, Jesus is still going to be in charge. Put your faith in Him. Amen? What a word of comfort this was. Hey, I was here before Rome. I'm going to be here after Rome. The church at Smyrna was enduring persecution and tribulation. We'll get to that in a minute. But he says, the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. I like the story that an old-time preacher, John R. Rice, tells. He walked around a corner, and there waiting in the darkness was a man with a gun. And the man pointed the gun at Dr. Rice and said, Your life or your money. And he was a rather large man and looked down at him and says, Don't threaten me with heaven, young man. And uh, scared the living daylights out of that guy. If I remember the story correctly, he was able to begin to talk to him. And eventually he put his gun down and trusted Jesus as his Savior before the end of the night. And if only we as Christians could understand that simple truth. Jesus was dead and is alive and the period there ought to be deafening. Amen? Never again is Jesus going to suffer. He paid the price for all sins one time. And as he comes to the church at Smyrna, he introduces, listen, I am the one that's in control. I am the one that has been through the valley of the shadow of death. I have tasted death for all men. I am the only one who in all of history can say I was dead and am and is alive, which was dead and is alive. And as Jesus will address each uh, pastor in each church, he will say, I know thy works. Jesus is interested in what is going on in the church. And here we have just another allusion as Paul tried to explain to the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, what a church really is. He always used the picture or the type of a human body. He said, just as in a body there are many parts and they all work together, and it's one body, so also in a church. And this church is the body of Christ. If you listen to Christian radio at all or read other commentaries, you will often hear about this uh, erythreal, invisible, universal body of Christ. Let me tell you that's an invention of medieval or Reformation theologians. Um, it is not known to the scripture. The body is the local church. And someone said, but pastor, what about the church in heaven? 
Well, didn't you just answer the question? Is not heaven a local place? Will not all of its members one day be assembled in one place together serving Christ throughout eternity? That church does not function today because it's not all there yet. But even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us be there assembled together in the name of Jesus and the tempter gone and all of these wonderful things. But until then, we are to serve Jesus Christ as his body, the local church, each church serving Christ. And so he says, I know thy works. I know what's going on because the church is his body. It is supposed to be accomplishing the things that the head, which is Christ, Colossians chapter 1, directs. Amen? Amen? Boy, you got to work hard for him tonight. And so as he says, I know thy works, then there's a word and. And tribulation. And poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them. Now, let's just take these words and put them in together here. This church at Smyrna was the victim of tribulation. Now, how many people know what tribulation is? Okay, tribulation is not fun, my friend. Uh, it is not enjoyable. Tribulation is the same word that God uses, that Jesus will use in this book and other places when He describes His judgment being poured out upon the earth in fact, we call that seven-year period the tribulation period. And the Bible tells us that somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population will die in that seven-year time period. Uh, let me tell you something. Tribulation is real. James chapter 1, we're supposed to rejoice when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of our soul. What? worketh patience we do not like nor should you like tribulation and all of these things the sorrow and the sadness the pressure that comes upon our life we are not going around seeking these things or even desiring these things but they were present in the history and what was going on in this present day in the church of Smyrna. Tribulation, poverty. I like the story Brother Clayton tells about poverty back in the 1930s. He said, my dad came home one day and says, wife, we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. And she said, what's going wrong now? She said, the president's going to take away our poverty, and if he takes away that, we'll have nothing. And uh, that was back in the Great Depression. But listen, poverty is not a pleasant thing. Much of our world today, in fact, more of our world today lives in poverty than probably any other time in human history. And it's not because there's not enough food or enough resources to take care of them. There's not, it's not the fact that there's enough, not enough wood to build houses or whatever there happens to be. The fact is, more people are living in poverty today because of the cruelty and the evil of mankind toward his fellow man. In what's going on in London for the last several weeks. The rioting. It's one thing that just never has made any sense to me. Is you're angry at what you've lost. You're angry at what people have taken away from you. So you burn down your own house and neighborhood. And the businesses that serve you. Does that make any sense to anybody? Uh, it ought not. But... Poverty is one of those things that breeds irrationality. You think 
that it can't get any worse. Let me be a a trumpet here. Uh, Let me warn you, it can get worse. It can get worse. Don't swallow that lie. Poverty is a difficult thing. And it described, when you are in poverty, it means not what it means in the United States, okay? Uh, I think according to uh, the code of the United, or the IRS or whoever makes these things, I don't think I've ever been above the poverty level, but uh, uh, when you take in all of the uh, uh, tax deductions and different things and But let me tell you, I'm not going hungry. When you are in poverty, it means that you cannot obtain what is necessary for normal life. You cannot provide clothing. You cannot provide not uh, excellent food with nutritious meals and all the calorie counts in the right place. When you are living in poverty, it really means, the word in our scripture means, that you are being deprived of what you need to exist. This was what was going on. And on top of that, they were in tribulation. They were in poverty. And by the way, when you're in true poverty, you have no way to get out. You are trapped. That is what is being spoken of here. I dare say very, very few people in the history of this country have been in what we would call poverty and what this word means because if you, up to this point in history, if you have been willing to work, there's always been someone willing to pay you something. Very few times and very few people were in a situation where they could not provide even what is necessary for subsistence. That wasn't true of the Church of Smyrna. They would go to bed hungry at night. They didn't go to the closet and decide what they were going to wear to church service. They were living in true abject poverty. Maybe it was a result of the tribulation. And then, of course, let's just add a little icing to this cake. They were being blasphemed. They were being accused of everything under the sun. Their characters were assassinated. They were being called and described by others who lived in that town as the most evil and base people. Um, and listen, this is part of the history of God's people. You study it. Now let's go through these things here. Let's go to John chapter 15. Let's look at tribulation for just a moment. This was the night Jesus was betrayed. He was on his way to Gethsemane. John chapter 15 and verse 20. He is telling his disciples, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Jesus is saying, listen, if they persecuted me, guess who is next on their list? How true were these words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 15? We don't get to Acts chapter 4, and they've already been in before the Sanhedrin on two separate occasions. They've already been persecuted and and, and in fear of their lives. And then we have this guy named Saul that comes along and literally goes door to door in the city of Jerusalem looking for Christians that he can put in prison. God had a plan for him. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer 
persecution. In Mark chapter 10, um, in verse 30, the rich young ruler has just walked away from Jesus. And Jesus has just told the disciples and all around them, and the words were ringing in the ears of this young man as he walked away from Jesus, how hardly they that trust in riches. And the disciples said, who can be saved? And Jesus said, listen, with man these things are impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. Then the pendulum swings because in the Jewish mindset it was in the, in the thing, the culture of the apostles as they were raised. If you were rich, if you had this world's goods, you were blessed of God. And if you were poor, well, it was because God didn't love you so much. Jesus was trying to change that. And he said, it's going to be difficult. It's, all, it's impossible to trust in riches and this world's good and go to heaven. And the disciples said, if the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? And he said, well, God can save anybody. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, Lord, we've given up a lot of things so we can follow you. What do we get? And that's where Mark chapter 10 and verse 30. And Jesus said, listen... If you've given up things for my kingdom's sake, he says, you're going to receive a hundredfold in this life with persecutions. That's Mark chapter 10 and verse 30. So this idea of tribulation, Paul's testimony, Philippians chapter 3, I mean, there are so many verses that we could go to. He said... For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Who remembers the next phrase in that verse? And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Tribulation is not the enemy of faith. Jesus is telling this church, I know your tribulation." I know what you are suffering for my sake. And then he says, and your poverty. He says, but thou art rich. How can you be poor and rich at the same time? Well, there are many different kinds of riches, are there not? By the way, what you can put in the bank and what you can hold in your hand are the worst kind of riches to have. Because just a few years ago, those little pieces of paper were worth tens of thousands of dollars. Now they're worthless. And don't get all excited about gold. It goes up. And it goes down. It, there is no safe haven for your worldly possessions. The church at Smyrna didn't have to worry about that because they had none. They had already lost them. Many of them, if we understand correctly, for the cause of Christ. But there are some examples. How many of you remember the widow in the temple during the last week of Jesus' teaching? Luke chapter 21 says, she cast in more than they all. If we were to take all of their offerings and add it together, it would not equal what that poor widow cast in, which was the smallest of all coins, which was even if we were to bring it into our modern day economy, it, it would take many of these mites to make one American penny. And she only had two of them. She couldn't buy a loaf of bread with two mites. She could not provide food for her family. But she gave it all and threw herself upon the mercies of God. And Jesus said, she gave more than all of them put together. Now that sounds like a poor rich woman to me. 
especially when God is keeping track. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we often go to these verses when we talk about faith, promise, giving, and missions. And let's just go there for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't want to be too long here because we want to try to get through this entire letter if we can tonight. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, we want you to understand, to think about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, Macedonia, even today, is economically depressed. It has never been known for its rich people and great economy. It says they were in deep poverty. And yet, because they gave themselves to God, in verse 5, in verse 3, it says, For their two For to their power I bear record and beyond their power. They gave much more than they had. How did these poor people give? Well, they went to God and they got something from God and they gave it. God is interested. And I love James chapter 2. And we'll take a moment there as we're on our way back to Revelation to stop. And in James chapter 2, as he is rebuking the Christians for their uh, respect of persons, we come down here to to verse 5. It says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Now, if I had a choice between being poor in money and rich in faith or being rich in money and poor in faith, only a fool would choose to have the possessions of this world. Would you agree with me? If you agree, say amen to that. I mean, to be rich in faith is to be accounted of having something of God. And when we stand before God, I don't care how big your checkbook is, He's not going to be impressed. He's going to be looking at your obedience to His Word. Amen? And so, this church was poor. But Jesus said, according to my record book, you're rich. When we get to the church of Laodicea, the last church, he said, you are rich and increased with goods. You have everything that you think you need. And because you have your worldly possessions met, you have no clue that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, what he has just described is the depths of poverty. He said, spiritually, you are in the depths of poverty. Listen, we we need to pray. Listen to the description of this church, even though they did not have of this worldly goods. Jesus said, listen, church, you're rich. You've got what I consider to be valuable. And then as we get back to Revelation chapter 2, and boy, does this not go on today. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but but are the synagogue of Satan. Now the word Christian today in the world outside the United States means that You're not Islamic, you're not Buddhist, you don't believe in tribal worship. Uh, Someone said, well, how many different kinds of Christians are there? 
Well, what does the word Christian mean? It means like Christ or an imitation of Christ. Now, how many people who use the word Christian deserve the word? You see, they were called Christians first at Antioch because the unbelieving world was trying to figure out who these crazy people were. They knew they weren't really Jews because they didn't go to the synagogue and they didn't act like the Jewish people did. And some of them were Jews and some of them were Gentiles. So that idea just didn't work. And as they investigated, they found out that the one thing that all of these people talked about was this person named Jesus Christ. Hence, they coined the term Christian. But how many of you, uh, well, I shouldn't ask how many of you. I'll just tell you one story. I, I have had uh, to endure several good cussings, cursings by people who call themselves Christians. Uh, do you think that qualifies for blasphemy of people who think they're Christians and are not? That's, that's what the, Don't get caught up in the word Jews. The connection here is with the God of the Old Testament. These people claimed that they were worshiping the one true God and Jesus is not... Uh, every time I go through this passage, I read what other people have to say and it just drives me crazy. It says, those in the Qumran community called the Jews that lived in Jerusalem of the synagogue of Belial or of the synagogue of the devil. And Jesus was just using their words. Now, excuse me. The Qumran community was a bunch of heretics all on their own. They did not believe the truth of the Bible. They did produce what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls, but if, these group, if this group of aberrant people were anything, they were influenced more by the Gnostic tradition uh, of the Greek mystics than they were anything that was in the Bible. Jesus was making a statement here that there are going to be many people who claim that they are the servants of Christ who in all reality have nothing to do with Him and His truth. That's why we warn you so much around here. Don't waste your time with TBN. Don't waste your time with quote-unquote Christian broadcasting. Every once in a while I'll go searching through just to see if I can find uh, some of those little internet radio stations, find something good to listen to, and I'll see, you know, Christian uh, music, old-fashioned Christian music, and I'll turn it on, and before long, I don't know what their definition of old-fashioned, but uh, the Beatles and uh, all of that stuff is not my definition of old-fashioned Christian music. I'm sorry. Uh, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Christian rock was a new thing. That's not old-fashioned music. Uh, we want music that belongs to God. Amen. I get more frustrated listening to people who call themselves Christians than I do listening to the news station because I expect problems from them. I expect a wrong philosophy from them. But I get so weary of people standing up and holding a Bible and explaining things that God in His wildest imagination never put in here. And those people to protect their Christianity will curse and blaspheme those who will just simply hold on to the Bible and say, it says what it means, it means what it says. Don't be afraid when people curse you for being a Christian. Just make sure it's for you being a Christian 
not the way you drive. Amen? Uh, that it's for being a Christian, not because you're rude and crude. Uh, I've met some preachers, and, and the term that I have coined over the years is, I do not wish to be needlessly offensive. The gospel is offensive. When you look someone in the face and say the Bible says that every person that was ever born is a sinner on their way to hell, that is offensive, my friend. And I don't mean to be needlessly offensive, but I want to offend you enough that you would abandon your own religion and your own thoughts and your own understanding and that you would embrace the truth that comes from Jesus Christ. If you will do that, you will be lied about. You will be called names. It's just going to happen. You think you're the only true Christians. No, we have never, ever said that. But the only true Christians are the ones that line up with the Word of God. How do you line up? There you go again, being judgmental. Wait a minute. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just holding up the Bible and saying, how do you compare? There you go. You're just dogmatic. You think you're the only one just because you believe what the Bible says. Well, I didn't get where I am because I listened to some guy who said, you know, the Baptists really haven't, have a lock on this thing, and if you really want to be a real Christian, be a Baptist. No, there's an awful lot of people who use that name that are really rotten people. I mean, do we need to name names? Don't think so. But it's following the Bible historically. People who have followed the Bible were called, among other things, Anabaptist and later just simply Baptist. And so that's why we use that name. And so there are going to be people, and it was going on in Smyrna. That's why at the end of each letter it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, if you find yourself in tribulation, if you find yourself in poverty, not because you were lazy or slothful, but because of things that you could not control, you find that people are blaspheming you and even people who call themselves Christians. You see, the Jewish people were in large part the beginning of the first church. The church of Jerusalem was almost entirely Jewish people. It wasn't until we get to Acts chapter 10 that we have the first true Gentile actually getting saved. So why do we have this great division? Well, it's very simple. Those that rejected Christ had already had the gauntlet laid down by the disciples in the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 4, and said, you got to make a decision. If we're going to obey God, we've got to disobey you. Now, the only way to solve that problem was for the high priest to repent of his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think that was going to happen? After he was the one that had given the edict for Christ's crucifixion, had played Pilate like a fine fiddle in Herod to make sure that he had trapped Jesus? Do you think he was going to take credit for all of that? They said, you bring this man's blood upon us. And it's interesting. Anytime you hear the cry of anti-Semitism, that's the verse they go to first. You're trying to make us responsible for Christ's crucifixion. Any believer in the Bible knows who's responsible for Christ's crucifixion. It is you and I today. Jesus died for our sins. It is every person that ever lived is responsible 
Jesus willingly laid down his life. That's why he addressed the church. He that which, which was dead and is alive. Amen. Let's keep moving. It says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Don't go looking for suffering, my friend. But when God sends it your way, you don't ever have to be afraid of it. Because Jesus was there at the beginning. He'll still be there at the end. He's been through death. We do not need to be worried about what goes on. It says, fear not those things which thou shalt suffer. It says, behold, I want you to look at this, understand... Who? The devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Listen, the devil does his main work. Not in the bars. Not in the nightclubs. Not in the houses of ill repute. The devil does his main work when people are provoked to attack someone because of their obedience to this work this book called the Bible. If you want to know where the devil's working, that's where the devil is working. When someone says, you believe that book called the Bible, you should die. By the way, the world is full of those people today, is it not? Yeah. And it, the Bible says, fear none. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. What happened when the disciples were beaten for Jesus' sake? They rejoiced that they were able to suffer shame for his name. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. Much has been made out of this next phrase, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, I went through my Bible all the way through and tried to find ten days. You know, I did find one example of ten days. Daniel chapter 1, it's in your outline. Daniel went to Melzar and said, prove us ten days. How many of you have ever been sick for ten days in a row? Seems like it's never going to get over now, doesn't it? But 10 days is not eternity. But it feels like it now, doesn't it? It can. All Jesus was saying is, this thing that you're going to suffer is not going to be over in a few hours. It's not going to just be a pleasant thing that you endure. This is going to be a long-term commitment, this is going to be something that is going to try you and something that is going to bring you to the brink and past the brink of your endurance. But if you will fear it not and put your trust in me, I'm going to bring you through. What does the next phrase say? Be thou faithful unto the minor injury, right? Uh, be thou faithful till it hurts. Is that what your Bible says? No. The Holy Spirit of God, Jesus, addressing His church, says, be faithful unto death. This thing that has come to try you may take you beyond the limit of human endurance. But that's okay. Because I'm the God of all life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He says, you just be faithful. God has a different definition of victory than you do. His definition of victory is be true to my word, period. If you die being true to my word, you have overcome. Now, that's not the world's definition. The world's definition of heroics is he who runs today lives to fight another day. Uh, that's not necessarily God's approach. 
things are going to happen and were happening. And he told the church, be faithful unto death. And I'll give thee a crown of life. Then he makes a statement, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now just a few moments and we'll be done. He that hath an ear. And aren't you glad you don't have to hear with your ears in order to hear God's word? Our deaf people are here. They hear with their eyes. But the Holy Spirit of God can do the same and does the same work in their heart that he does in yours. This idea of hearing is understanding and obeying. He told those at the church of Ephesus... That if you will hear, if you will overcome, I'll give you to eat of the tree of life. Do you think only people from the church at Ephesus are going to eat of the tree of life? That's absolutely not true. All that enter Christ's kingdom will be partakers of this tree of life. And this crown of life, you cannot enter Christ's kingdom without wearing that crown, my friend. Because it is the crown of life that takes you over the judgment of eternal death that gives you the right to stand in the presence of the holy God. God does not want you to be an overcomer just so you can feel better about things. He wants you to overcome so that you can show the world that Christ is still real, even in 2011. Amen? Amen? This message is for every believer in Christ that we are to hear. We are to overcome. Read James chapter 1. The reference is in your outline. It says, I will give them the tree of life. Who? Those that endure temptation. How many times when we are tempted, we just say, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I have no strength, I I just got to give in again. That's not overcoming, my friend. You know, we need to get this attitude that this is a life and death struggle. People say, what is the key? to having a long-term marriage. Well, when we got married, we promised till death do us part. And by the way, murder is a sin. Amen? It is that determination that God wants to put in our hearts. It is till death we are faithful. Now, In America, when is the last time someone was put to death because of their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It has not been since the colonial days before this country became a country. Though it did happen on several occasions in the colonies, and it was always because of religion that people were put to death for their obedience to the scriptures. And by the way, there are some real nutcases involved there too. But what do they want to do? Those that call themselves Christians want to judge anyone who does not meet their standards as unsaved. We go back to medieval England. Why did John Bunyan suffer 12 years imprisonment? because he refused to take a state license to be a preacher. Uh, By the way, he was a Baptist preacher and used that name. I want to serve in that tradition. The judge said, your family is suffering because of your obstinacy. Will you not just sign the license? 
And they brought his wife and his blind daughter in the courtroom and said, Can you not look at the poverty that you are putting your family in? Sign the license. And his wife said, You can't sign that license. You made a pledge to God to be his preacher, and I'm behind you. And the judge wanted to throw them all out of the prison, out of the courtroom and into prison. But eventually. Mr. Bunyan did win his freedom and his cause. Jesus said, I know thy tribulation and thy poverty and the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. Be faithful unto death. I will give thee the crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, this is an individual promise, not to the church as a whole. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Read Revelation chapter 20, that's the second death. Where death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Where God's judgment is sealed eternally. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be touched by the second death. Be faithful to God's word. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you are saying to your churches. And Lord, uh, it's hard to preach on this subject and not take a moment and just say thank you, Lord that we do not face the persecution and the tribulation and the poverty those Christians did in Smyrna around 100 A.D. when this book was written. But Lord, how much more should we be faithful and serve You because we do not have to face the things that they did. Lord, let us be faithful to You and to Your Word. And we pray that we would see each one here on the right side of your judgment, that we would be joined together in heaven to serve you for eternity. Lord, we ask you to do your work in hearts and lives, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict each one of us here of the things that need to be changed, that we may be faithful to him which is the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment. We'll have the piano play. A